So when you think about your veteran staff, what words would you use to describe them? What categories would you put the veterans in? And when it comes to making change and innovating, how on board would your veterans be for your flashy new ideas at school? Well, the neat thing about today's guest, Davis Poten, he inherited a school. He's the head of school there. Uh, and they, they had significant change that they needed to make. And his veterans were all on board. And so we're going to start with that story uh, and how he, he built that influence and ownership with his veterans. Uh, we talk about being an introverted leader. And this is also my first guest who is a leader from Brazil, which is such a, such a treat. So we get to hear a bit about uh, Brazilian education. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This show is for you ruckus makers who are out-of-the-box thinkers making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Transform how you lead to become a resilient and empowered change agent with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education school faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Hey, hey, Ruckus Maker. My friends over at SMART have developed a research-backed tool that will show you not only your strengths and weaknesses, but where you should strategically focus your energy in order to drive better results for your students. This tool is called the EdTech Assessment Tool, and you can take it at smarttech.com forward slash profile. Take the EdTech Assessment Tool at smarttech.com forward slash profile. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Well, hey there, Ruckus Makers. I am, uh, I always say I'm excited, but I want to give you a, a real reason I'm excited today. Uh, I'm speaking with a school leader from Brazil for the first time. So we're going to bring his experience to you. And, and this wonderful Ruckus Maker, his name is Davis Poten. And Davis is an international school leader and educator who is passionate about empowering students' lives through education. Having worked in schools in the United Kingdom and in Brazil, he has built his expertise in working with teachers, students, and parents from different nationalities, ethnic, and social backgrounds. Such experiences have helped him to enrich his leadership capacity and to develop an international-minded approach to education. He is currently the head of school at Pueri Domus, a K-12 IB bilingual school in Sao Paulo, Brazil. So, uh, welcome to the show, Davis, and uh, bon dia. Uh, bon dia. Thank you very much, Dan. Your Portuguese sounds great. <laughs> We're not going to stretch it past that, you know. If I'm if I'm ahead of uh, you know your expectations, I, I don't want to fail <laughs> anymore. So uh, that's My wonderful. Pleasure. So happy you're here. And and uh, the question I want to lead with, I think it's a great story, and you were able to you know, bring in this massive cultural change at an international school. And you told me you did this with veterans, teachers that were there for 
some is as long as 35 years, which is just mind boggling to me because a lot of uh, ruckus makers listening, they'll, they call those veterans sometimes dinosaurs and, and sometimes not that they fully give up, but they're just known to be difficult to uh, change and to get to try new things. So let us have it. Tell us about this cultural change and how did you get the veterans specifically to buy into your vision? Well, first of all, just to give the audience, you know, some uh, uh, some background about it. You know, the I came into my current school to Peridomes about uh, three years ago, and the school was going through a massive institutional and cultural change, as you've just mentioned. And up to three years ago, this school was already offering a bilingual program, but the way it was structured, well, it felt like two separate schools inside one. So we had the Brazilian program, you know, part-time, and then in the afternoon, the, the curriculum in English, the international curriculum. So the teachers were different, you know, the, the curriculum was different. So that's why I say it felt like, you know, two separate schools inside one. So the, 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 the school directors, they, before I came to, to, to where they, you know, they wanted to make a change and they wanted to, to bring that cultural institutional change. So they, and then that's when I came in really, you know, to, to make these uh, integrated bilingual curriculum happen and put that in, into practice. So from 2018, then we started offering this bilingual curriculum full-time education from nursery all the way to, to year nine to begin with. And then last year, we, we made some changes to, to high school. And I think that, you know, I'm fairly young, you know, you know I'm, I'm 40 years old. So, you know, some of, the, some of my, my coordinators, my heads, you know, my heads of departments, they are obviously older than me. And the way that I, I, I wanted to get on my side was, first of all, to come and try and understand this scope. The, the culture of the school, because you know, I was I was new to the to this to the to the institution. I came asking lots of questions. So why do we do this? You know, why have how why have why have we been doing you know such and such for in that particular way? Why can we not do this? So my curiosity in trying to understand you know the way things worked made people think about why they were doing you know carrying out the procedures and the, the way they, they were teaching and, and so, so different things. So my curiosity, my, me asking them questions and, and having them to explain to me, that made, made them think as well to begin with. And obviously, I had to take into consideration that they had a history, you know, they contributed tremendously to this institution, to this school, you know, so many years before I even came to, to the school. And I had to take that into account as well. Uh, and the, and the, the change of bringing this integrated curriculum was uh, the way that the directors and my executive director uh, led this transition was really empowering them to be part of the change. So bringing their experience to, you know, how we, we need to make, so we have new students, you know, they come with, they come with new, have a new generation coming up. They're coming with new, you know, new needs and new ways of learning. So we need a new school. So what can we do to change? And I think it's bringing them part of the change, making them part of the change that really got the, you know, those more experienced on board, really. Yeah, well, 
you know, I think if I reflect back to you and, and for the ruckus maker who's listening, uh, honoring the service, right, of the veteran and, and understanding the contributions that got them to where they're at is a great place to start. They feel that. They know They know if you think they're a dinosaur or if you really do appreciate what they've done for the school. And then secondly, even though you could, you know, part of your job as, as a leader is to cast that vision, to, to see where the school needs to go, you have a sense. You can tell people, go that way. Or like you did brilliantly, ask, why do we do it this way? And set them in a reflective activity to have them assess, you know, why did we start doing it this way? And is it still serving the students we have now? Or could we do it better? And it sounds like uh, that really brought them in and, and built ownership um, to the change that needed to happen. Well, that, that's, that's a key word, actually, that I was going to say. You know, there's a great sense of belonging and ownership. Yeah, I think that the previous heads, they made, you know, a tremendous job of you know bringing this community together and so the teachers and the coordinators and the heads of department they just they simply love the school and they wanted i think it, it's a great sense of pride for them to be part of this change you know to be part of the of, of, of the story you know we this the, the school is is maturing you know is growing with 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 the time is you know is, is up to date And then they felt challenged, I think, most of all. It's funny because, you know, when I talk, you know, in the first year, towards the end of the first year, actually, towards the, the first few months, I would say, when we changed things, we started to change things dramatically, especially in the classroom. They felt, look, you know, it, it's, it's unbelievable because it feels like I'm, I'm working at a different school now. Because not only because things are, were, are being done differently, but also because I'm learning new things. So let me give you a, a very practical example. As I've mentioned to you, so we used to have the, the Portuguese uh, team, you know, the teachers and the coordinators, and we had the English language team, you know, and they worked completely separate. And we have this understanding that a bilingual teacher, a bilingual school, both teachers are bilingual, uh, both coordinators are bilingual, are responsible for, for both languages. Because, okay, One of them might have an expertise in English and, you know, and the other one in another language, you know, but, you know, they need, they both need to understand how a bilingual child develops, how this bilingual brain develops, how this content language integrated learning in the classroom takes place. So they were challenged in the sense that they were both, even though each one had uh, responsibilities in they, their own areas of expertise, They're both responsible for the bilingual program. And that made them feel really challenged to learn and to, to unlearn and to relearn, so to speak. You know. I'm working on a, a second book. It's about the mastermind and, and how uh, you know, we serve school leaders at Better Leaders, Better Schools. And the reason I'm telling you this is I, I came up with a model that I think is um, what makes the community great. And I call, it, I call it the ABCs of the mastermind, which I think will be easy for educators to remember as well. And so A is authenticity, B is belonging, and C is challenging. And if you have those three components, it leads to transformation. And so you, you, you mentioned uh, belonging within your school. And I'd love to have you talk to me about that, just because I'm, I'm so interested in belonging. And I think it's so important in terms of uh, school leadership. So what are some of those things that you do 
uh, either intentionally or you just discovered unintentionally that are that are cues for your staff and uh, creates this environment of belonging? Well, it's a great question. I think, you know, learning and education is all about emotion. You have to be emotionally connected to other people and to, to you know, to the workplace, to the school where you, where you teach, where you work. So I think, first of all, obviously you as a leader, you have to make decisions. And, you know, at the end of the day, you, you are ultimately responsible for certain, you know, uh, decisions. But, you know, having, uh, giving, giving your staff um, a voice or, or some kind of some some kind of contribution that really enhances you know that sense of belonging to begin with. So, like I've mentioned, you know, before I came to the school, you know, my director said, you know, and the and the other heads, they said, okay, well, we have to make make a few changes uh, with it, with our curriculum. We have to review our curriculum. We have to offer a bilingual curriculum for everyone because that's what we believe in, and you know. There was a, a, at least a year of preparation, so the coordinators were part of the change, and they and the teachers as well. They were consulted, you know. They brought their their own expertise. So, so that's you know that's one of the things. Another one is so when we, I think you know even when you think about this change and this cultural change, because it could be some heads or some you know leaders could find it easier to replace the staff you know, with a team that is really like-minded and, you know, of where they want to get to school at, too. I personally don't believe in that. I think, you know, obviously you have to give people, you always give people the chance or give, give things, opportunity for things to, to, to happen and to, and to make it right. So give them the chance to participate in this change and to make a contribution that was really important. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate uh, what you shared there. That belonging piece is, is incredible, and uh, thank you for sharing. I'd love to talk to you about being introverted as a as a leader. Uh, there's a couple of questions I have here with that, but one would be: uh, what, what are some of the misconceptions you think that are out there of uh, introverted leaders? Well, it, well, you know, as you mature as a leader and you get to know yourself. And I think from when I started my, my leadership career, and you know that was back in, in in London in England, you know as a as a as a subject leader, you know in a primary school in in, in London, and then uh, went to assistant head. Most of the time, I was very concerned about the you know getting the job done to the best of my ability, you know getting the you know the the technical knowledge of how you know. You know, they, they, you know, looking at the data, looking at the, the best teaching and learning interventions, and so on and so on. But I never really paid attention to myself as a leader, you know, and what, what's my motivation. And it was a time, you know, during my personal life when I, I had some, some, uh, some therapy, you know, uh, you know, like going to, to, to counselor for, and, uh, and that really made me, you know, look, look at, look, look at myself. Uh, and that self-knowledge, self-discovery really improved my leadership skills dramatically because I, I was able to identify my strengths and actually being an introverted leader, I thought, well, actually, that's something really positive. So some of the misconceptions when people think about an introverted leader and then thinking about Susan Cain, you know, the, the, the quiet revolution and, you know, and the, all the movement that she 
she's brought with, you know, you know, to discussion. Uh, one of the main misconceptions that people are antisocial in a way, and they are shy or they they don't like other people, which is which is a total misconception. I think being an introverted leader that really helps me to be more uh, reflective, you know, to be more analytic about things. Especially, I think this year in, partic in particular with the, the whole COVID, you know, pandemic, where we had no, we were dealing with a crisis. We didn't know what was going to happen the next day, how we were going to organize the, the school calendar and, and so on. You know, at times of crisis, you know, keeping the cool and just, you know, okay, let's take a deep, you know, breathe very deeply here, take a moment and let's think strategically. So that really, you know, being introverted gave me the, the opportunity to do this and to listen especially. So my staff, you know, my coordinates, my heads of school, they, they heads of department, they know really well, you know, and, you know, they, they come and talk and bring their ideas. I'm listening, I'm taking notes. And then, I'm, uh, then I connect the dots. Okay, guys, okay, let's think about what we said here. And that connection, that is active listening Is, is a quality of, is a great quality of an intro, of many leaders, obviously. But if you are an introverted leader, then um, it, it really, it's part of your, one of your, of your features, so to speak, you know. But also, I think being an introverted is about, you know, how you recharge most, most importantly. So, you know, after a long day at work, even after a busy morning, I like just to take a deep breath, you know, have a cup of coffee, just organize my thoughts here. Uh, and that's how I recharge, really. Whereas some people would just go in and, and have lunch with lots of people and that's the way they recharge the batteries. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. So, yeah, lots of qualities. And I'm still, I'm still, I'm still you know, learning and um, discovering myself and my skills as, a, as, a, as an introverted leader. I can absolutely relate. I don't know uh, what people perceive me as, maybe extroverted since uh, putting out the podcast and that kind of thing, but I'm definitely an introvert. And the podcast has helped me grow with my comfort level talking to people and stuff. Cause I mean, that's, that's, that's what, what I do now. I love the phrase. Yeah, exactly. Well, I just, let me add on. Um, I love the phrase that you shared, uh, connect the dots. And the cool thing I want to point out, I think is significant for the ruckus maker listening is that if you deeply listen and you're able to connect those dots for people, that has such tremendous value where I don't know if extroverts feel this way or whatever, but uh, often leaders feel the pressure of having the answer. And what you do by deep listening and connecting the dots is you show those you serve that they actually have the answer, right? And that's such an empowering moment. So thank you for um, letting me share that. Was there something you wanted to add? No, I was just going to say that, you know, People really listen. They know when you're listening to them, you know, when they, when they feel listened to. I think that's, and again, I think it goes back to maybe my, my, the way I like, I like to lead or I believe in how, how, you know, managing and leading in school should be, at least for me, which is, you know, serving the community and bringing the best of people, you know. So exactly. So when you listen to people, when you feel, when you have that connection with them, you know, that really makes, Uh, you have them on your side, you know, they, you build trust 
and you also build their own capacity, you know, because they can actually, uh, they can, you can identify their strengths and, and they, they can come up with their own solutions many times. Many times you just need someone to go and say, well, you just came up with an answer now. No, you just need that extra validation. Obviously, you know, as a leader, sometimes you need to, you know, make quick decisions and, you know, that's part of the job. And if you just met, just let me add another thing that I just, just remember now in terms of, you know, being a, a, one of the challenges, I would say, of being an introvert and especially in this position, in the position that I'm in. Because as a head of school, you are, you know, quite a public figure. You know, you are, you are the image of the school in terms of how you lead and everything, you know, and there are great expectations about what you as a head of school will decide and so on. So, and that really you mentioned about your podcast, you know, I think with me as well. Uh, and I've learned that, you know, uh, public speaking and, you know, talking to others, it's much more about self-esteem than actually being an introvert or an extrovert. You know, I really having, acknowledging this really has really helped me to, to look at how I, about my self-esteem as a leader, you know, what I can do, what I can do to, to promote that and to strengthen that. And also that really had, had a positive impact on the way I lead my community as well. Yeah, great. Well, Davis, we're going to pause here for a message from our sponsors. But when we get back, I'd like to ask one more question about being an introverted leader uh, and then get to some trends and things that you see from a high level in terms of Brazilian education. Transform how you lead to become a resilient and empowered change agent with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Grow your professional network with a global cohort of fellow school leaders as you collaborate in case studies, bridging the fields of education and business. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Smart has an incredible research-backed tool that allows you as a leader to self-assess your capabilities at the school level or broader to help you with planning and prioritizing. Discover your strengths and best area of focus across five different modules, including leadership and remote learning. The tool inspires collaboration with your colleagues and provides massive value whether you complete one or all five of the modules. You'll get a personalized report that shows where you stack up against other ruckus makers and map some areas of focus that will have the greatest impact for you. Take 10 minutes and get started with this EdTech assessment tool today. I suggest beginning with the strategic leadership module. Check it out at smarttech.com forward slash profile. That's smarttech.com forward slash profile. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Davis Poten, uh, international school leader there in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and we're so lucky to have you. So, my last introverted uh, question: you, you mentioned a reflection, you know, process or being deeply reflective. You mentioned having a cup of coffee, sitting down, and doing that. I don't know if you have a formal um, 
journal process or questions you like to ask yourself. Uh, but can you can you talk to us a bit about yeah what that looks like for you when you reflect about your work? Well, I think it's just it varies. You know, sometimes I just sit down, or at the end of the day, or at some point during the day, and I I just just go back through my mind. You know, what just how the morning went. You know, how a specific conversation you know went as well, and what I could have done differently. I think especially if there is a challenging situation or a situation or that really moves me out of my comfort zone. You know, I think, uh, and if I have the chance to do it, obviously, like I said, you have to make you no know, quick decisions and, and that's and that's what we, we as leaders do. But, you know, just thinking about the different outcomes of that decision and then, you know, going back to my listening skills and to those who I work with or who I've worked with in the past, you know, what would those people be that I, that inspired me, for example? Well, what would they have done in that situation? Or have I learned about that in the past that I can apply to this? And so, you know, that can take, you know, a few, a few seconds very quickly. It can take a few minutes. It depends on how it goes. One of the things that one of my heads taught me was about improving on past performance. And I'll never forget this because... Um, was this head of school in, in London and uh, and I was an assistant head at the time, was, you know, very busy in the morning. She said, you know, Davis, what, what, what are you doing at the moment? So oh, I'm just doing such and such. Okay, let me just stop everything. Come with me, please. I said, oh my God, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> and she said, no, I was, I was new to the job anyway. But okay, what have I done? And she said, okay, I just want to show you how, I think it was my first or second week. I uh, just want to show you how we actually turn our school vision into practice, how we can make that tangible to everyone. So let's walk around the school. And we looked, we walked around the school. We looked at the, you know, the, the classroom displays, children's work, and the way the school was, all, the actual, the physical environment. And she said, well, can you look at these two displays here? And such as, can you see how our, our school vision is, is tangible here? And that was such an amazing lesson that, you know, that she taught me at the time. And nowadays when I have, you know, certain, uh, so that's the kind of experience, past experiences that I, I, I've mentioned just now that really, and, I, and again, being reflective is really important because, you know, that really stuck in my mind and I can always refer to in so many other experiences. That. Uh, anecdote actually sparked an idea for me that I've that I've never had. I'd like to share it with you. You know, I've 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 been in schools, obviously uh, done walkthroughs, provided feedback about the physical environment. But what you just shared, sometimes you know, I, I have a uh, pet peeve. Something that irritates me about schools is they can they can look so dreary, or they might even look like a jail, like or they are completely lifeless. Uh, they have no color. They they're just not alive, right? And I'm wondering if that lack of creativity, inspiration on the physical domain of school is indicative maybe of a lack of a meaningful vision, right? Or at least a leader that connects the dots here that where's the vision being lived out in this physical structure of school? And uh, I don't know, it seems like a big idea to me right now, but I've that's the first time I had it. So I wanted, I wanted to share with you. And thank you for inspiring Praise. me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, uh, last question before we get to how I end every show. I, I just want to hear from you, high level, you know, just uh, some things that you're seeing about um, Brazilian education and, you know, what's going on there. Okay. Well, at the time of this recording, we're still, you know, going through the pandemic, you know, and obviously like many other schools and, and, and countries worldwide, you know, we, it, was, it was a very challenging year. And obviously, I think just the mere size of Brazil and all the challenges that are involved just with that, you know. So you have obviously, you know, places like Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro and other, you know, big cities where you have lots of resources and financial resources and, you know, access to uh, resources. You have other countries like in the Amazon, for example, or poorer parts of in the Northeast where you you don't have, the, the students have, don't have many um access to many resources anyway. So I think that is, you know, that's a real, real challenge and it will be for a long time, I, I think. The schools are closed still in in Brazil at the time of this recording. And, uh, you know, obviously only high, uh, only high school education was back. So, but, you know, like in many other schools around the world, the world we had to be very creative, you know, obviously, you know, uh, providing, um, is remote teaching, remote learning to make that happen. And uh, so, but that was really, really positive, you know. And obviously you have a, a huge gap between obviously state schools and private schools. And unfortunately, this gap just got wider, you know, with the pandemic. Let's, let's hope that the, you know, and the Brazilian government and the society and the communities, they work together to close that gap as much as possible. Uh, something else that I, I think will be interesting for the, for the listeners to, to get to know about Brazil is there has been, maybe in the past two years or so, a movement towards uh, more and more bilingual schools and bilingual education in Brazil. If you think about other countries, you know, like Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, you know, where you have lots of bilingual schools, it's, it's something quite new in Brazil. Uh, obviously, we obviously we had international schools, you know, uh, American, British, and so on. But I think the 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 schools and the parents and the educators they are be beginning to realize the value that bilingual education has uh, and how much it adds to to students, you know, not just cognition but also you know um, social emotional growth. So that's why we, you know, we are we as a as a Brazilian school, you know, we're very proud to say that we are a bilingual Brazilian internationally minded school. Because there is still a misconception that you know you it needs for you to have this kind of mindset. You need, it needs to be an American or a British or any kind of English speaking school. And that's something that I try and still in all in all the students uh, that you know they have. They can have the equal opportunities. They can have the same the access, you know, to the same universities and the same uh, opportunities that many other English-speaking, you know, countries. It's about, you know, again, going back to the self-esteem, going back to their self-belief. So that's something we're really trying to to accomplish here. And I've been, you know, in the three years that I've been in the school, I've been very proud of all the students. You know, uh, not not only those who graduate at the end of of high school, but also, you know, or each one of them. So it's great to see their progress and how they 
and develop they develop their social and academic uh, language in Portuguese and English, and that both languages are equally valued. Thank you for the uh, the overview. It's, it's fascinating, and you knew these uh, last questions were coming here. So, Davis, uh, what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? I would say it's about it's about having high expectations of everyone in school, not just students. Uh, so just have have high expectations of your community. So it's about and it goes. You can you can look at it can have a broader view of it, like you know what you expect your if you have an IB school, you know if you're an IB school, what your IB diploma students will get, and the the kind of you know the certificates and the grades, and you know what university they're getting to, but also to the smallest you know uh, achievement in terms of during the lesson, what they're able to achieve. So always have high expectations, always expect the best from people, and and that's also in terms of the staff you lead. And that's one of the lessons that I learned with one of my previous heads, which was a time when I had just arrived in, in England. You know, I was a teaching assistant. I had a, a teaching degree from, you know, from Brazil, but I was just a few months in, in, in London. And, you know, I was just having a conversation. So, well, you know, Golos got something to contribute here. So, you know, she saw the potential. She had high expectations. She gave me the space to grow. And... You know, that's something that I try and, and practice every single day. So that would be my, have, have high expectations of everyone. You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Wow. Again, you know, like, like you've mentioned, you know, have mentioned uh, this international mindedness me is something that I really value. So if I if I could, I would have a, a rotation of of you know maybe have the, the academic here part of the world you know every term in a new in a new country for example that would be fantastic and also give them the opportunity to the students the opportunity to make a difference in their their own community. I think that will be that will be amazing. Davis, thanks so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of everything we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Have high expectations. Expect the best from people. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.